It's my first time being on a podcast, so this is something I've always wanted to do. Well, thanks for coming, man. Yeah, so, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Logical Shaman Podcast. I'm Zach, and today I have a special guest, a Facebook friend of mine that I'm getting to know in real life, uh, Sean Saul. Welcome, Sean Saul. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Zach. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to be on a podcast for the first time. Yeah, bro. It sounds like um, you know you definitely had some similar points of interest to me um, as far as like philosophy and music. I know you, you have a long history with music, so I'm definitely curious to pick your brain about that. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, I, I definitely feel the cross mutual interest between music philosophy spirituality graphic novels it's oh yeah we found that out when you came in today and I, saw my collection it, i'm so impressed you know just for all you viewers out there no he has such a sick amazing library and it's all organized color-coded alphabetically semi-organized i mean it i mean look, it looks good enough i mean look he's he's hiding a very amazing visual display and um we're both we're both really big Alan Moore junkie level fans, so yes, super nerd yes. and hard on that right now. Because when I tell people I'm into comic books, like I'm really into Alan Moore, and then I'm into other comics like yeah. secondarily. Right, 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 right. To right. Alan Moore. No, exactly. When you, when you get to Alan Moore, it becomes apparent how much everything is sort of measured from Alan Moore. He right, becomes his own stick. And yeah, maybe this is blasphemy, but he's kind of become my favorite like author, even in like like books. Like he just he puts so much thought into characterization, and he does like if you ever looked into Alan Moore, he does like reams and reams of research on any book before he yeah he, yeah even if it's like the most obscure like well he did From Hell which was about um, Jack, Jack the Ripper. Ripper yeah and literally like the back fourth of that book is all his documentation of all the notes and research right, he just did in on the time Victorian period. England all yeah yep. everything. Like how people talk, like the different stratas of society, he goes into so much detail. So, and that's what, it. right? And that's what we were saying when, you know, you were telling me how your favorite Alan Moore graphic novel was V for Vendetta. No, it's I, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, oh, League for Extraordinary Gentlemen. But you know, nonetheless, if you take V for Vendetta, you know, for any one of you guys or for anyone out there who's read or hasn't read it. That's you, also a good book. You know, it's it's amazing, but there's so much Scottish and British mm -hmm. English dialect that's written. The transliterations are written out, you know? Mm -hmm. And we as Americans, if you read this, it's not always easy to understand. But mm -hmm. it just You have to like say it out loud in a Scottish accent to get what they're saying. You really do, mate. <laughs> no, exactly. He even does in From Hell, he does the the Elephant Man. Uh, like Jack the Ripper is a doctor in that book, so he goes right. to like visit the Elephant Man, John Merrick, and he can, can hardly talk because he's right. all deformed, and he he writes out how it would sound, and it is really hard to understand what he's Dude, saying. Dude, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, have you ever seen the old um, Elephant Man black and white movie? I don't think so. Oh man, you gotta you gotta see that just for the imagery. When um, was it made? I think it was made maybe in the early fifties. Uh, is it 60s. actual like film of the Elephant Man, or is it a is it a fictional? It's a fictional movie. remake, okay. but it's so accurate to the few pictures of the Elephant mm. Man that are actually real that it's really sad and fascinating all at the same time. And um, yeah, it's that's it, and it's actually really interesting. I think it's worth noting how Alan Moore makes so many cameos of characters. Mm -hmm throughout history and it's kind of yeah. like 
You know, if you look at a, a Beatles album like Sgt. Pepper's, you know, you see all the little memes, all the cultural little references, yeah. references. And, you know, people, a lot of people don't know that um, John Constantine. Oh, yeah. Is actually was just a meme in it came, Swamp Thing. It came from Swamp Thing. Yeah. Yep. In, yep. In, in his whole quirky character, it's really interesting how that interacted with Swamp Thing, who's an elemental, mm -hmm. you know, and how uh, John Constantine, I, I, it, he's, he's kind of an interesting guy because he's like this dude who's like, yeah, I'm enlightened, but I don't really give a shit. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really interesting sort no, he of really just character. Don't give a fuck. Yeah, he that's it. Yeah. And he's always being threatened <laughs> by like demons or vampires right. or these like incredibly powerful things, but he's just unfazed and it really bothers all of these creatures that right. are trying to scare him and manipulate him. He's just like, Yeah, what whatever, mate. Like what okay. I'm gonna go have a spot of tea. Yeah, it's 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 the it's the British whimsicalness yeah. mixed with the nihil with the with with like the god level nihilism that just like it confuses mm -hmm. all the supernatural deities. It's like, what are you? Are you afraid? When it, that's a that's a powerful tool, like especially oh, yeah. for like little kids who you know traditionally comic books have have been geared towards, but like you know they like especially for me when i was a kid i was scared of so many things like especially Same. when i try and sleep at night i just start thinking of all the scary stuff i'd seen on tv or thinking about demons or aliens and if you can like kind of train yourself to embody that that type of caricature or archetype of like yeah you know what yeah you, you're out there but uh i'm cool you know like you can't phase me you know really it, it can help you overcome like some of those fears and things it, it it really can and it makes you realize how the traditional characterization of the hero archetype has been kind of like let's say in the 20th century onwards kind of like watered down into Definitely. this campy thing you look yep. at the old adam west batman and how it kind of <laughs> yeah, started off good and, example and and you know he's just some fucking playboy dude who who looks hungover it looks like he's just a will ferrell character yeah actually <laughs> you yes. know it's like a comedy will ferrell <laughs> as old batman like the old oh, school, oh my god that would be amazing but, that yeah. would really be amazing yeah but no um, i see what you're saying but it, they make it seem silly and campy it's and, very campy and i think in the 80s when frank miller you know, revamped it, and we saw the Dark Knight Returns, and we saw more mature, grim, cynical, dark, mm -hmm. evolved, mature version, it really was more appropriate to the reality of our times, you know, in our culture, mm -hmm. where, you know, whether, you know, you look at your parents, or you look at anyone, anyone who was supposed to be an authority figure, a role model, probably weren't perfect. Right. Right, so this idea... A lot of disillusionment. Right, you know, so to see someone like John Constantine that ends up helping people and he's in this certain state of understanding truth, but he doesn't have to pretend like he's the shit, he doesn't have to prove anything, Right, and he doesn't also have to suppress emotion. Mm. It's okay, like, if, he, if he's hungover, if he doesn't feel good, he speaks his mind. And there's a type of courage in that sort of characterization that honestly we actually need more, mm -hmm. you know. So it's uh, but yeah, I think that whole Alan Moore, Frank Miller, you know, once, once the graphic novel thing really kicked off, you know, it's like we were saying earlier. Think about how much of that has influenced modern superhero um, movies. 
Oh, definitely. The, the, the cinematic adaptations are totally based and influenced by... When just mo- modern, yeah. a lot of modern culture in general, like video games and movies and TV, like there's been a shift, especially since the 80s, to a darker, grittier, yeah. more realistic. And I think mm-hmm. that's definitely in there. Like if you go back to read Watchmen or you go back and read The Dark Knight yeah. Returns. Yeah. But I think they're missing it. Like I think that's just surface level. Like make it darker, make it grittier. Right, but right, I think right. really what they were trying to do, like Alan Moore and um, uh, Frank, Frank Miller, Miller yeah. they wanted to make it more human. It wasn't they, just that it was darker and grittier. It was like, no, like... If Gotham City was a real place and Batman was dealing with these crazy psychos, what would that do to his psyche? And what would that do to a man that w- that was able to stand up to these these sort of evils? What would he be like? So and I don't think I don't think it was just done to be dark and gritty and edgy, although right. maybe it became that like a caricature of itself, but it it was more about, you know, like what where's the humanity in this story and how do these archetypes like feel more realistic and feel more grounded? And 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 I think from that perspective, yeah, like maybe we can say that the the superhero universe reached this existential maturity that was needed to really ground it so that we can relate from that interpersonal psychological level that it's really cool, you know, how within philosophy and psychology, we have the language to really get deeper into those inner subjective states. And there's there's actually, you know, both a poetic and philosophical and scientific way of talking about it. And mm-hmm. to go beyond bang, bang, ooh, <laughs> yeah. bad guy shot. When I think- Scooby-Doo-esque sort of, to go from that yeah. to that, think about how um, the whole medium of superheroes have evolved. I think Such it's tied into to our yeah. culture as a whole. Like uh, one of the big topics you wanted to talk about was God. And right. I, I see how this this kind of connects because I think that superheroes were becoming really popular right when scientism and science was becoming dominant in our culture and religion was sort of getting phased out. And we had like the world wars and all these horrible events yeah. that like disillusioned people. Right. And so like, these archetypes because superheroes are really just like an archetype you can you can take it back to like greek mythology i was about to say so the pantheon of the gods yeah. is really re-sublimated reincarnated we can say yes. as superheroes 100 percent. so tied. and i think it was like shoved away into like children's literature like the comic books because because yeah. people weren't taking it seriously they were like oh this is just a, a silly archetype yep. this is not serious like the real world like world war ii like right, right, having right. to make it during the great depression like you go read your silly stories about archetypes and and things like that because i don't have time for it so i think it was made silly kind of by the culture as a whole but it like survived in this like subculture of children's literature because kids would still be into that sort of stuff and and what's funny is that that actually on a side note because for all the people out there i mean i don't know you know the age demographic of your viewers but you know you know for for a bunch of dudes in their you know early 30s we could arguably say that that went all the way up to the 90s i mm-hmm. mean in the golden age of i you know so many even as a teacher you know i have students that you teach a, music right Is that- yeah 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 i teach music and i had a student with a nickelodeon jacket and mm. had rocco's modern life mm. and the real monsters oh yeah i remember those. and the rugrats and and i was like dude that's a badass jacket 
And he's like, you know, Mr. Sean, oh, man, you know, I think the cartoons you guys had in the 90s, that was like the peak, the golden right. age. And I was like, dude, thank you so much because let's think about it. Ren and Stimpy or Rocco's Modern Life, dude, this stuff had some really psychedelic, yeah, deep, dude. existential. I was going to say existential um, stuff, yeah. Let's say borderline even like some David Lynchian surrealism. It was there, like we was we, there. we we had lodged into children programming mm -hmm. existential surrealist psychedelic mementos psychologically that were planted that for sure I I think growing up doing podcasting do this thing you can't deny dude like that time period we came from all the crazy you know e even on member WB like the Animaniacs or oh yeah like Animaniacs uh, were great. Or even um, Freakazoid. Yep. Freakazoid runs around in underwear. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun. I mean, <laughs> and yeah. That stuff's embedded in my brain now forever. It, it, it is. They're all real monsters. Yep. There, there was this oddity in this really strange, quirky, dark, unique character that I think opened up what they started. That human, that that humanizing, that, that humanizing, yeah. showing their emotions. Yeah, they were almost they humanizing the cartoon characters. They did, like the yeah, they, the silly they, after school specials got got real. And, and 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 yeah, and I remember always being a fan of Hey Arnold because dude, his parents were dead. He was openly depressed. Um, True. And you know, he was sophisticated. He was kind of emotionally detached. He didn't understand things, but he kept his cool. And that was so... And he, they, they had the grain of, like, morality in that show, too. They it, were always... He was trying to do right and, like, you know, trying to do the best he could and making mistakes, but and, there was, like, a moral through line it, to it. It, and it. Yeah, and it kind of showed before social political narratives started to really divide yes. people how actually culturally open i mean look at the neighborhood look at all the diversity look mm -hmm. how everyone came together and it's so funny how it was like a party that i think you know the like, like what i call them the little zoomies you know gen, gen z okay what what <laughs> is that the like under 20s what, what, what I, is I, I think yeah. i don't know the exact uh, um, yeah delineation. right 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 yeah because gen z is definitely below um us as millennials mm -hmm. and then the zoomy culture you know i think even whatever's below that you know those kids are tapped into the zoomy culture mm -hmm. and and the zoomers the gen z's you know you you see all their TikTok culture their, their and, and a lot of mm -hmm. it is trying to fetishize 90s culture <laughs> so they claim they hate the millennials but really right. they they secretly admire you know, the fact that all those, like, really cool humanizations of, of, like, what we loved about, you know, the graphic novels, I think the end of it was in those 90s cartoons. That makes sense to me. It, right. And then think, and, and then, then it kind of went downhill. <laughs> it, it did. And then you... you well, like you said, it was, it was already open and it was already accepting. And we already, you know, in, loved other cultures probably right. more than any other, I don't know any other, but most other civilizations on earth. Like it, America loved other cultures and splicing different types of people together. And that's yeah. what our kids grew up on at that oh, time. Yeah. We didn't care what color you we, were we, we or what your culture was. If you were a nice person, we were going to hang out with you and, and be friends. And yeah. it, it was like after that, it became more of a fake version of that. Like we have to 
force this in yeah. and make it this thing other than it would I feel like it had already reached that point where it, it, yeah I, I I know they just they couldn't just like ride the wave and just like enjoy yeah. the fact that the quote unquote progress actually did get to a point where hey like everything in the 90s man was this sense of celebration and mm -hmm. partying and like we're cool and it's okay to be present and happy yeah and there's this um there's this existential displacement. And I think we were lucky that, you know, so much of those superheroes that we, we got that humanized take on them. But as we were saying, now maybe the new generation, Star Wars and the new animations, it's kind of just becoming a little slapsticky, mm -hmm. maybe just a little um, visually sensational. So maybe yeah. what... We... And a little freakier. I mean, they're always yeah. pushing that boundary, <laughs> especially like on Adult Swim and stuff. I feel like now they're just trying to shock you. There's no, there's not much more content there. Than right. And, 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 it's, and I think it's like what we were saying, how like in the early days of cinema, right, slapstick and yeah. stuff, like that was cool True. and funny because you had drama, you had sci-fi, you had this big variety. But today... Because back then people were reading books mostly. That was like the dominant culture was books yeah. and newspaper. And then you'd go watch a movie as like, a, oh, let's just chill out for a minute. Watch this silly production where a chain, a train like comes at the screen and, and we freak out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it was, yeah, it was much simpler back then. And it was more of an accent to the overall culture than like now film and TV is like the dominant like culture. Like and that's the way people... Right, and and because it's it's a medium, it's a form language. It keeps conveying the same archetype, the same message, and and that's how it gets watered down. Because actually, mm. you know, in a sort of psychological Jungian sense, all these different archetypes, where you know, kind of like how horror movies, you know, psychologically from science studies, you know, the reason we like them is because we get to simulate fear without being in danger. Exactly. So we get to learn from them unconsciously, and it actually makes us better prepared to confront danger. Because unconsciously, you know, we've we've seen it, and we know, okay, alligator zigzag. Mm -hmm. You know, like we we were hypothesizing. We talked about <laughs> this on uh, crossing the chasm. If you guys want to check it out, our other oh, podcast. Cool. Yeah. But we were theorizing that like. Probably one of the main reasons that like horror is so popular and um, like like so many women become obsessed with like serial killers and things like this. Yeah, why is that? I, we we were thinking it has to do with just because kind of like what you were saying. It ties yeah. into that. Like we're used to that adrenaline rush of being in the True. wild and being chased by yeah. animals and having this yeah. danger. So like biologically, we're missing something. Like it's not even necessarily a good thing. We're we're, evolved, we're yeah, used we're, to having this around and we're having this. To it. Yeah, and it and that probably was tied into how we would exercise more and be healthier because we were Dude, chasing and running. Cool. So people are like chasing after that fear like response because it's just naturally the, a part of you, what we are used to and we don't have it anymore. You, you are tapping into something so deep, man. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it makes me think about, you know, my cat and how it's always honing its claws, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's always honing its, its, its instincts. Yeah. And it needing to talk about zoomers. Cat love to zoom around your house, like right. you're getting ready for a fight. <laughs> no, dude, definitely. And you know they got to keep their shit on lock already. Yeah. And it's almost like in a weird way we got that inner killer 
that needs to be prepared、mm -hmm. in case the danger comes. So these movies are like this safe Freudian sublimation,、yeah. so that we can unconsciously get the 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 feeling of encountering it.、Um, but holy shit, the way that that ties into how psycho hats <laughs> become. The romantic male archetype. Oh, weird. For 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 attraction and how our culture plays with this idea. Because they're more tapped into the animalistic. Yeah, side yeah,、like、yeah,、that. yeah. Because, you know, human sexuality is so tied to our human instincts that anything that acts as a key to open that shit up. Right, we're 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 It's exciting. We're 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 a, we're a hormonal box looking for keys to be opened up. True, right. And it's kind of crazy how you know the movies really romanticize、mm -hmm. that sort of fantasized vulnerability. Yeah. Well, what, what's the, like the most popular women's book and movie like ever the past decade? Was the uh, uh, what's it called? The not black and white. It's the oh man, I guess I'll have to edit this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the、uh, oh man, what is this called? Yeah, where, where no, the no, no, on, where the rich guy like dominates this woman. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah,、um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm blanking on what it's no, called. No, no, no. I'm blanking on what it's called. Wait,、too. I have to look this up. Yeah, you got to look this up because、uh, it's it's not Grey's Anatomy. No, it's something to do with the color. <laughs> oh yeah, Grey. No, you're right. It's something Grey. Popular movie. Grey. Dorian something. No, Dorian Grey is、uh, another book. <laughs> Let's see, popular movie. I know exactly, and 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 can I find it? And he's、oh, like a sadomasochistic abuser <laughs> who's really charming.、Uh, whoops, gray. He's a charming sadomasochist. Yes, that's exactly what he is. Hold on. And and that's this the is killing、archetype. me. I gotta find this. Fifty Shades, Shades of, of Gray. gray. Oh my God. So yeah, that reminds me of Fifty Shades of Gray. I mean, that's that's what it is. It's the it's the rich power male fantasy of the guy who dominates a woman, and he's he's a psychopath. Like and, and, he has no emotion and no care for her. And, and 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 I think it's yeah, it's funny because as men, that could be like such an ultimate litmus test,、mm -hmm. you know, in terms of like you know like hey, like that Fifty Shades of Gray, like kind of stay away from that shit because yeah, you know. You know what it really is? Is it's romanticizing the idea of like unresolved trauma、mm. and like using like the lover、yeah. as a way of like sexual of like sexually like opening that up. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really toxic. Yeah, I think I think it is like un undealt with trauma, and you and you're kind of like like you said romanticizing instead of dealing with it and understanding it. You're just like getting off on it. And not really like yeah and and, and, and yeah and and to tie I I have a perfect analogy to tie us back into the superhero universe is Poison Ivy <laughs> because think exactly、yeah. that what is Poison Ivy what does she actually represent but the idea of being enamored by the seduction、mm -hmm. and so it really kind of shows that in a way like. That challenge to see, like, hey, try to come get me, but I won't allow you to get me. But ultimately, I want you. Right. So there's like this violence, and that's her power、yeah, over men is their desire for her. But but we they say we have to chase the woman,、mm -hmm. and then they run away. Yeah. So you know, the Fifty Shades of Grey is is that this Fifty Puffs of Poison Ivy juice, bro. <laughs>
<laughs> no, completely. It also tied, I, yeah. I couldn't help but think, if we're going back to comics, was uh, in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, um, Alan Moore really explores that side of humanity with um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, yeah. So, like, definitely. the whole duality of the, like, animal side of man and the, like, tame, you know, male energy versus the, like, unrestrained, like, male energy. And right. how much you you need that, like, wild animal. And that wild animal is a part of all of us. It, it you is. You know, and, and in some sense, we all want to have access to that to, like, protect ourselves and protect our family. Yeah, yeah. But, like, at the same time, it, it can terrify people in ourselves it, and it, women and, right. you know, things it, like that. It, and it can ultimately be self-destructive because it's ultimately when we unlock our secret weapon mm -hmm. we can't point it at ourselves yeah you know and and i think also you know tying tying this back to another metaphor frank miller the dark night mm -hmm. the dark night of the soul oh yeah is really unlock it's it's unlocking that animal which really you know if we want to take fans back um to the deeper symbolism and, and mystical archetypes of uh, Game of Thrones, what is the dragon? Slaying the dragon, unleashing. Why, why is the dragon caged? Why does it want to be freed? Mm -hmm. Because that's really our inner animal. Yeah. And when, what's her face? Princess, help me on this shit. I'm not a Princess who? Wait, what is this? Um, Slayer of dragons. I'm not sure. Okay, but you know what I'm talking about with the, with the blonde white hair. I've lost the thread of where, yeah. what character we were talking about. Uh, the queen in uh, Game of Thrones who rides oh, the dragons. I, oh, I know you're talking. I'm not yeah, into yeah, Game yeah. of Thrones. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, no. I, yeah. It's like Cersei or Ciri yeah, or Ciri. something Right, like that. But, but, but think about it. She becomes... I know you're talking about now. She was a slave to her brother and was passive and was treated like shit. Right. And then when she became the dragon queen, she was able to, you know, claim the throne of... When she unleashed that, like, Dragon. wild side, yeah. Right, exactly. so, and that's what also, like, the idea of the wolfman, mm -hmm. you know, coming alive at midnight. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting for fans, maybe, to take our discussion on some of these deeper um, archetypes and symbols and, you know, re-watch all these scary movies, a yeah. lot of these, and you'll start to realize... Well, there's always, there's almost always that undertone yeah. of, like, sexual attraction, even going back to, like, Dracula, of course, and, like... Um, who had sexual powers and, oh, yeah. and even like the what was the lagoon monster that the famous creatures from the black lagoon well, there was like a oh sexual God. undertone there where he was like chasing the woman and they were like reflected in the like that at time just to finish off what i was saying too about yeah. um dr jekyll that that's what they they kind of go into in that story because that also ties in with dracula because the character mina in that book survived dracula and had been through this horrible experience um basically dealing with the most evil like monster that could ever exist right and so how she deals with mr hyde when he's transformed into the monster yeah is very different than other people and there's like a moment in the second book where they like are in hiding out in this house and they have this like quiet mm -hmm. moment together where he's like you know i i notice how like how you are like compared to the others like mm -hmm. you don't look at me with the same fear and disgust and he's like i think you've probably been through some shit basically he's like you know, have you like met someone that's like worse than me? And she's basically just like, yeah. She's like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm through with it. She's like, I, I am afraid of you, but like, I just like, I've come to, to terms with that. And he's like, well, I know, you know, he's like, I'm not stupid. He's like, I may be a monster, but I'm not a moron. He's like, 
I know that I could never like have a woman like you or be with a woman like you. But he's like, it somehow like makes me happy just knowing that in all the world, you know, you're not afraid of me, basically. Wow. You know, you're the one person that's not afraid of me. And and he basically cuts her off at that point. And, and so after I said that, get the fuck out of here before I break your jaw. And like threatens yeah. her again with his like animal nature. But he like has that moment with her where he feels like he's connected with someone for the wow. first time. And, it and, always gets me, and, <laughs> it gets me emotional. Dude, and, and you know what's really profound about that is that you have the idea from the girl's perspective of the acceptance. Once you right. once you unleash your inner animal, you get the acceptance. And once right. you get an acceptance, there's this catharsis in your and and actually you have strength. Mm -hmm. Because you know, strength doesn't mean the absence of the fear. It just means confronting. That's overcoming. The, right. Yeah. It means being able to stand in the presence of it. Mm -hmm. And you know what's interesting is in a sort of figure eight a sort of dialectical inversion for dracula or the for the monster he gets to integrate his inner human right you know find so, his humanity right. again so, you know so when we accept our inner monster and we confront monsters we give them the space for inner healing but in the end it's still an individual choice so that's why it's almost right. like uh you know, maybe as we tie this maybe to more God stuff, you know, in Hinduism, we, we talk about the idea of Shakti. Yeah, I think we should do that for sure. Um, yeah, the energy of God. And in that moment, that girl is transmitting this cathartic energy that mm. he's able to feel. But because you have to do it for yourself, he ultimately couldn't integrate it. Mm. But he gets a mirror mm -hmm. of what his truth could be. Of what's but possible. He, but, but he didn't do it for himself. So that's the catch 22 about confronting the divine, you know, is if you have to kind of be the magician, you have to conjure it because mm -hmm. if you just happen to be around the fire, you see the light, but the light will burn you if you get too close because you didn't start the fire. You don't know how to yeah. control the flame. Yeah, that's why it's got to be a balance. It can't be oh, all yeah. one or the other, the animal nature, or but you have to integrate yeah. them both. Like You do. Or you're missing a big part of the picture. Dude, and I think, to t dude, wow, really, this ties exactly into the whole theme in the name of your show, The Logical Shaman. Mm -hmm. Because right. the logical shaman, really, I think for our generation, is really the perfect metaphor for how we integrate this, right? The yeah. shaman is one with the irrational world of nature, our animal spirits. And archetypes. All the ideas yeah. and yeah. oh yeah, and 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 there's no limit. There's there's pure integration, and right. then reason is being able to discern truth from from fiction. Yeah. You know, being exactly. able be, being able to operate on categories of higher thought that able yeah and um, no, I completely agree because even like when I say shaman, I don't. I don't mean that as an endorsement that I necessarily think that there is a spiritual world, mm -hmm. but that shaman like historically was someone that would like surf the idea space. He would, mm -hmm. he would like feel out the culture. We were talking earlier about reality tunnels and something right, yeah. that uh, Good point. Robert Anton Wilson talked about was basically everyone, the like your brain acts as a filter for the world 
and depending on how you're filtering it, you're, you're seeing the world through a different reality tunnel. There's a Christian right. reality tunnel. There's a public school teacher reality an tunnel. Atheist, there's an atheist. Hindu. Everything. And you could have multiple reality tunnels, depending on what you're talking about. But most people generally are kind of automatically in, in a tunnel without even realizing it because they're just used to translating the world a certain way. But shamans can sort of jump through different reality tunnels and they kind of see the bigger picture of like, yeah, this isn't like literal necessarily or yeah, this is just one way of looking at it and they can kind of jump through the concepts and the concepts have power and meaning because everyone is existing in these different reality tunnels dealing with different archetypes that it does have effect on the real world even though it's fantasy or it's imagination or you know whatever and, and and they can understand the energy of every reality tunnel and what makes it have its enter its its own inner structure mm -hmm. and you know you're making me think about the anthropomorphic nature of consciousness and how if you think about like a computer for instance mm -hmm. you open up a internet window and you have a single tab but think about how multiple tabs can be opened up. Yeah, I've got way too many tabs right. open and, up. And, right, and at the moment, right, think about all the different tabs you have open up are like different thought streams. Right. Different thought tunnels, That's sorry. That's what they are. And, yeah. you know, the ability to be in this quantum, unified, multiversed space that can surf all of them allows you to be in reality, in the totality, right. rather than getting last in the part. Right, you know, right. because now we get this idea of the macro micro, you know. Didn't Jung talk about that too? Like the, um, what did he call it? The whole idea sphere or the... The collective unconscious? The collective unconscious. Yes, that's, yes. That's what I think of as the same thing. It, like, definitely. And within the collective unconscious, we have the entire collection of human archetypes. Mm -hmm. And what's really profound is that at that level you could say that every human being has a pre-programmed software mm -hmm. and that maybe what Plato was calling the world of ideas and forms, the forms yeah. was really this, the collective unconscious and all the archetypes mm -hmm. to be a hero, to be a villain, to be a father, to be a mother, mm -hmm. to be the jokester, to be the healer. All these are in our collective unconscious and this is what allows us to really unconsciously do all this role play where, you know, here we're doing podcasting, you know, you go pick up food and you're a customer, a patron right. of a food establishment. Playing different roles. And there's different form languages. They ask mm -hmm. you certain pieces of information. There's certain rituals, how you stand, give them the money. Mm -hmm. It's all a shamanic ritual and a Jungian sense that um, that's that's very... It's, it's a collective chaos where, you know, certain sociologists have talked about um, how we evolved towards a collective schizoidal illusion. Mm. That you could actually say that our awareness... We're sort of hallucinating the society together. We, we, we are because the initial confrontation of self-awareness with the fact that we're mortal and we're going to die mm -hmm. and that there's no... There's nothing within thought or awareness that stops this. Right. So the paradox of being given this awareness to something that that awareness That's alone doesn't. That's existentialism right there. Yeah. yeah. Why are we given awareness to something that that awareness can't change? Right. 
what what is the purpose of life? Yeah, and you don't want to feel defeated yeah, by it. But you don't. Right? It's uh, hard. I mean, it, it 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 very much is. So we invent culture as a way of being able to transcend and overcome the fact that we would have probably nihilistically died out. Yeah, or just bashed each other's heads in if we didn't come up with this this way to deal with each other and it, get along and it, and like, you know, it's to me it's like it's like it is the solution to violence like it is it's it's really beautiful like yeah you can say what you want about like modern society and say it sucks in certain ways and and i'd probably agree with you but what we're doing as a culture or as like humanity is is a beautiful and it's amazing yeah. that we we can act on this level and that we can say mouth sounds at each other instead oh of God, just beating yeah. each other up you know and and raping each other and stealing yeah. stuff and like no we'd rather play this game that mutually benefits us and enriches us instead of taking and stealing and burning and you know right all this stuff. And, and and I'll and we'll and I'll have to get back to you maybe there's this Israeli um historian mm -hmm. named Yuval Harari I've heard the name okay and he has written some really really amazing books that talk about basically how did we how did we go from being these insignificant ape-like humanoids in the savannah to you know world domination and what is that story of how we yeah and it's actually the story of how stories itself yeah creates a shared collective consciousness that allows for human organization there you go and what he's saying is that if you look at other species you can look at bees for instance and they can have mass organization but there's no flexibility in the roles. Yeah. So each category it's of each binary. type of, Right, it's completely binary. And if you took monkeys, for instance, that have certain levels of flexibility, if you put, the, he, he says, if you took as a thought experiment for fans, it's funny, imagine seeing a whole bunch of monkeys in a football stadium mm -hmm. and what would happen <laughs> and they would fucking kill each other. They would go insane. It would be the most They intense. would go ape. They they would go apeshit literally, and 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 think about what happens if you put a whole bunch of human apes in a arena. We get sports, mm -hmm. we get organization, and I think that's true. In 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 the end, you know, and even from an early age, that's like um, I don't know if you watched any Jordan Peterson, but he yeah, talks definitely. a lot about like oh, how yeah, play fan. and children and games and like how children will come up with rules even if they don't know how to exactly explain them or. Maybe they're not all completely agreed upon, but all the kids make enough agreement to like participate and all have fun. And they're not just, it's not completely random. Like there's thought and there's rules and, and boundaries that get set up in whatever yeah. game that kids, you know, are playing. And it's like built into us almost to want to do that, to organize and. It is. And I think that, you know, you know, because I don't know how much more time we have and I, I kind of like want to talk a little bit. Well, we got time. You know, just for people to know a little bit, you know, I'd like to talk a little bit about my background, you know, yeah, uh, just my views on spirituality, um, because this idea that you're describing from Jordan Peterson about how, you know, little kids before we're controlled, before we're programmed, we're naturally creators. Yeah. We are system builders. We are archetypes. You yeah. know, if, if you think about within the esoteric occult even organizations like the freemasons right why is there this symbolism to building 
mm-hmm. to the architect, structure. to the mason, to structure. Yeah. And how is it that that's tied to some notion of human divinity? And then let's take that to this Jungian level of, of childhood and, and what's happening, and we're being builders. Mm-hmm. We are being builders of the universe. Yeah. We are being the creator God, creating the rules, creating the systems, and implementing it. And in a Platonic sense, not, no one taught us that. So where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Somehow we tapped into a immediate access of this collective unconsciousness that might be something that makes us realize that once we come into human existence, there's a cloud. That you could say that consciousness is almost like a Wi-Fi cloud Mm -hmm. and that the moment we're born, we're tapped into this and this is what allows children to do things that they've never been learned. It could be. I've always been skeptical of the Wi-Fi theory. I think it has more to do with like how brain structure itself like works. It probably it, it may create similar structures or thought patterns, um, but I think I think by by ch- by children learning like the right. by watching us interact and by watching humans do certain patterns, it's sort of like it, g- going back to like the Jungian the the collective unconscious. To me, it's not like a literal like like I couldn't right. I couldn't f- go to sleep and dream and we would literally share the exact same dream like through brain wi-fi i don't think maybe we can i haven't seen the evidence for it but i think that because the ideas are all logically connected in our brains mm-hmm. um they they have a similar structure so for instance if i'm thinking of space travel because of when i was born and the the media that i took in i'm going to associate things like star trek and Star Wars and uh, Apollo missions, mm-hmm. space travel, the idea is physically attached to these other concepts and they branch out from there in the a logical pattern, yeah. like in our brain structure. Yes. So uh, although I don't think that there's literally like a Wi-Fi pattern that we share, although I could be wrong, I think it has more to do with how our brain structure information and how that is similarly shared between us because of our shared culture and our shared like understanding, our, our similar reality tunnels. That w- no, 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 definitely that makes sense. Definitely, and I think it's it's a hard thing to say to what extent you know this is emerging, you know, from mm-hmm. our brains, or how much of this metaphysically it's or cosmologically yeah. is just. I can't say hundred percent. Right? No, 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 no. <laughs> but but I think it's worth saying just for me to kind of explain the idea of where that comes from is that, okay, in a conversation, for instance, you have your reality, I have my reality, you have your brain, I have my brain, Mm -hmm. and your brain and our, my brain are independently coming to our own thoughts and our own, um, our, our, our own, our own perceptions. Mm -hmm. But what is this medium? Is it the space in between your mm-hmm. lips and my lips? What's, what is it that allows us to both be in our minds mm-hmm. and then transmute to the space and physical and back into your mind such that- To there, me, that's the evidence that there is a shared reality, yeah, that, there is, you, that, there is, we, that we are both existing right. in reality you, with you, our own perceptions right. of it. You, you see how there has to be some sort of mm-hmm. 
natural container ecosystem. They call that a priori, I guess. You have yes. to assume that there's something. <laughs> yeah, no, we there, you know? there there's some... Or else there would be no reason to doing this and, at all because there'd be right. no one at home to like watch it. There'd be right. no one, you know. Exactly. So think about how we're in physical space, mm-hmm. but we're also in the Wi-Fi structure of our brain. Yeah, and it's, it's literally like, and I've used this example before, but it's literally like a virtual reality. So you put on, it's like our brains are creating a virtual reality for us. But we share of that. reality. Yeah. No, 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 we share reality, but then we all have our individual version that we're oh, actually, because okay. none of us actually experience reality. Like straight up, we're all experiencing right. a translation of reality yeah, by our brain, which is creating through your sense input, it's literally generating a holographic representation, which is what you are experiencing right now. If you're watching this video, you, right. your brain is processing the video and the sound and your environment around you and how warm or cold your skin is. And it's yeah. making you feel like you are right there because you are and your, your brain is processing this information and it's generating a, a full like, it is like a VR video game that's being generated by your brain but it's based on a shared reality. It's it, based on the it, inputs of your body and like what's around and, you. And but but think about how we share language. You know, yes, yeah. we we share the same conventions and rules and structures mm-hmm. of speaking. You yeah. know, it's almost as if we share similar amplifiers, neurological Definitely. amplifiers. And that's why culture is so important because we we relate so much more to do, people that see the world similarly or have the same language or have the same. Yeah, and and I'm and I'm curious from your perspective. Yeah, if we can agree, you know, on this metaphor of, of our of our neurological brain structures as you know as these <laughs> like amplifiers that yeah. can download information, is culture or the world a shared reality that we're both downloading from? Is, is that wait say that again? Is culture what say is culture or reality? Some oh, oh. I'm I'm trying you know because yeah, yeah. we have this internal reality, the virtual reality that's happening inside the amp, yeah, the, 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 you know the brain amp, but the information that it's downloading it mm-hmm. from, it seems that we have a shared source, yes, kind of like air, yes, or space, the so, shared reality that and we're yeah. W- what is the shared reality that both that all of our um, brain receivers download from that allow us to agree on stopping at a red light that's what speaking is meaningfully that's just what is and, and or as god would say this it's what i am <laughs> it's, right it's just right what right is. but but then that brings okay so then this brings me to what i'd like to get a little heavier on is what you know in philosophy we'd call a um a pantheistic or an imminent conception of God versus a, uh, you know, um, theistic transcendental conception, right? Where for certain religious beliefs, um, God is outside the universe. Mm. So we live in a godless universe. And this is so paradoxical. What religion would say that, do you think? Christianity. Is that Christianity? Because, I mean, Christians say God's in the universe as well or is a part of the universe. Well, God's essence. Yeah. But God himself, see, this is where you get into... It would depend on what theologian you are talking to, probably, yeah, or denomination. Because I started recently, you know... What do you think? Like, what do you think is... Well, what I personally... Th- okay, so what I think and what's interesting, if, if you go on Netflix and watch the show about Rasputin mm. and the Romanov dynasty, 
which was the last imperial family of Russia. Yeah, that's before, a crazy story. Dude, it's an amazing show because it shows the the roots of the Industrial Revolution, the mm. October Revolution, right. the rise of communism, uh, of that revolution. Right, that's true. Rasputin was actually a consultant to the king. Yeah, of like the an Roman advisor. Op- right, he was an advisor during World War One, and... Eastern Orthodox Russian Christianity is actually super cool. Mm. And this is something that through like getting into like mystical Russian. Are those it, the ones that they like chant the Bible and stuff and it's all like sung? They and do. Like, and they I have love their, that stuff. Dude, and yeah. they have. I've been their, to those churches before. Yeah, they, they have this form Some of. of art. Yeah, and, and they have these Russian bass singers that sing this like gnarly oh, ass wow. fucking low Gregorian style chanting yeah. that's amazing. But a lot of people don't know about Eastern Orthodox Christianity. And you see, they have their own pope. And you see their big thing on why they don't agree with Catholicism, which in many ways is very similar to the Protestant theology, Mm -hmm. is because they think that you need God's energy. Mm -hmm. Like to be? To like to, so so to be a Christian to actually be in mm-hmm. it, it's it's actually interesting it's not enough to have faith you actually have to miss you have to have a mystical connection that's to like God's the Holy energy. Spirit right yeah it's like saying the Holy Spirit but it's kind of more of like it's a just, science like you okay. have to become the mystic and yeah. and so hmm. this is where the cult of Sophia and the Divine Mother and Mary about that yeah so. You know, if you look into the ancient religions, you're going to see a whole bunch of, uh, you know, Gaia and feminine worship, mm-hmm. which just goes back to fertility cults and mother nature. And the idea, as you were saying, is that God, um, and then it, if you want to say, okay, that God is beyond the universe, but his, uh, as his energy is here, that's panentheism. Mm-hmm. You see, pantheism just is saying that everything is God. God is in there all is things. no difference between God and the universe. Yeah, yeah. And there's somewhat of like an immediate agreeability that I personally think is kind of undeniable. That you know, let's say if you're an atheist or just or a believer or anything, if we are gonna share reality. It's going to be shared on some sort of mystical cosmological nowness mm-hmm. that I think what pantheism is saying is that let's just take here and right now and call that reality or God. And to me, that seems like really like that makes a lot of sense. You know, we're yeah. dealing with the right here right now all the time. So whether God. Yeah, if I was going to believe in God, it would just be that God is truth, you know, or God is what is like. Right, so that truth... Or the totality, you know, I guess. And, and, and that truth of what is has to be knowable mm-hmm. and present to us right now. Yeah. So in a way, pantheism very, is, is a very nice um, philosophically, scientifically, rationally compatible um, view system of God that kind of takes the whole mystery of like, okay, really explain this. If God isn't in our universe, then how did God create it then? And if God, let's say this, yeah. if God created it the way the Hindus or the Eastern Orthodox or most of the ancient polytheistic cultures believed, if God created this, then the entire fucking world's spiritual. 
Right. Dude, the entire it all comes of God's essence. Right. right. So, yeah. so, so everything that God created mm -hmm. is part of His essence. So God's essence in the creation is equal to the um, to His being, and this is what we call the unity of the unmanifest and the manifest, mm -hmm. like in Taoism and yeah, that, that ties into yeah. like Hinduism and, and exactly Buddhism as well, like the. Like realizing that you are God and you, God, you is, every, God. God, and is, God is everything. And, yeah. And it's both the, uncre you know, that we both I definitely have. had that psychological trip at some point on, on a LSD. That was, that was dude, quite an experience. Dude, that's amazing. Ego death and all that is, it is very scary. Like it, it, it is. Man. I wouldn't necessarily say uh, you have to go through it, but it's no. definitely an experience. It, you don't. You, and it wasn't necessarily fun at the time, but I'm glad no, that I had no, that right. experience. It's, it's, it's nothing. It's never something you plan for. It's never something you want. You can't really control it. Yeah. But, you can't like make yourself have that kind right. of experience. But, but the type of wrestling with having to accept being present mm -hmm. for it is honestly, man, from doing a lot of soul searching, a lot of therapy, a lot of mentorships, basically the essence to tell everyone in my opinion is just fucking be present with your pain. And if you can do that without mm. judging it, it's like a metaphysical fire that like burns mm. out. And what you yeah. realize honesty. is that- It's like true yeah, honesty with yourself. You, that That's what confronting your fear means mm. is just, you know, in Hinduism, we, we call this uh, self-inquiry. And basically, you sit with yourself and you try to understand what mm. you're not. So everything that appears to you by being a neutral observer, you start to realize you're like not your, your thoughts. thoughts. And, right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and then this idea of the nothingness, the unmanifest, this starts to make, dude, even on a deep level, the whole, and people, like, man, like, for instance, I tripped when I was 17 and found the Bhagavad Gita in a <laughs> hotel. Nice. So, dude, I read the Gita. I read on acid. some of that too. Wow, not on acid, but I read. And and and, and reading the Gita on acid is is really, uh, especially with a lot of the artwork that was depicting oh, things. Yeah. Because my whole thing is when I was tripping, I realized that the state of consciousness this gave you access to was exactly what the fucking Gita was talking about. It really is. Yeah. It, it fucking tripped my. Tri it tripped the trip. Yeah. Because I realized that book was tripping. It's like hyper self-awareness. Yeah. It's it's like just existence. This yeah, this book is describing what the acid, mm -hmm. the state of what acid gives you a what a Disney a psychedelic fast pass. Yeah. But here's the thing. Imagine that you're so used to going to the Disney pa fast pass lane and then Disney shuts down yeah. and then you're like, oh yeah, you want yeah. Disney? Well, you want to help work for well, Disney? There's, yeah, there's other things attached to drugs as well, which is just like the dopamine high and the, if, for instance, if you were abused as a child, you know, that you can become addicted to these things easier yeah. and abuse them because it makes you feel normal. Like for the first time, if, if you're coming from an abused background where you're, you don't feel like normal levels of dopamine or happiness. It's a chemical stabilizer. Depression, yeah. That compensates. And so you can chase that, you know. Yeah. Beyond the psychedelic effects are almost separate from just the, the high or the like good, generic good feeling that you get from a lot of well, drugs. Well, but there's definitely like an, an alteration of your mind that can help you. I, I think of it as as being attached to like the 
Garden of Eden story and like mm -hmm. self-awareness. Yeah. Like man becoming self-aware and sort of fall, having the fall. Like that was the fall in, in Genesis was self-awareness because we weren't just like the beasts of the field anymore that could just enjoy existence and just be. You Dude. know, like every cat just is, every cow is just being a cow. Oh. But then man like became self-aware and kind of screwed ourselves up in a way. Dude, I can't believe that you just said this because I've been, you know, really talking about that interpretation with some friends. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is that on like a really mystical level that of course you know i could say this but you got to meditate and do this for yourself to, to to see if you resonate with this is think about this okay there's the tree of life mm -hmm. the tree of of immortal life and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil now let's think about this this tree has both mm -hmm. so good is always attached to evil right and good and evil so has nothing evil. to do with god or et um, eternal life. Mm. People don't really think about how profound mm. this message is that like God is the totality and that good and evil is the byproduct of the human mind or self-awareness not having a, a direct communion to that oneness. And what I've realized, and like if you get into like a Gnosticism and like more like esoteric Christianity, you'll realize that um, it's not that evil or good is actually good or evil. And it's not actually that good and evil are actually a problem. It's the fact that through that snake, we became we just didn't immediately embody the truth. So the very fact that it had to be questioned, that was the problem. You see, that's the whole paradox. That of what was questioned? Whether you want to bite the fruit. Mm. Now, here's the paradox. If Adam or Eve would have just done it with never being asked, you see, that wouldn't have been the problem. Yeah. It's the very fact that they didn't have that immediate connection to God and that they had to ask it as a question. So that's part of the deeper esoteric moral of that story is that good and evil, it's, yes, this exists, that there's a certain relativity where this is important, but really... I mean, just to be fair, I think it is really important because, you know, putting up with evil behavior, you know, whether you would consider it evil or not, you know, is, is going to do harm to you and those around you. No, you know, no, no, like... definitely. So good, good and evil are very, very important. But to understand, well, why do they coexist? Like, why mm -hmm. yeah. don't we just have, like, a utopia world? And why isn't, right. or why isn't the world, like, completely hell? Why do we still mm -hmm. have signs of hope of, of great things happening? Well, somehow good and evil are battling in the same arena. Definitely. And, you know. When they both exist inside right. of us at all times. They, like, they do. That kind of goes back to just to, to, I guess, bring it full circle here as we kind of wrap up. But yeah. Like, um, with the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, you have it's, literally both inside of you. And you, what you, you can choose really to transform into whatever it, you want to be. Holy shit. World. Yeah. You, okay. This is what you're making me realize. <laughs> good and evil are important, mm -hmm. but to actually be good, mm -hmm. we have to first understand their relationship 
accept them both, and then we get the tree of life. Because mm. the tree of life is the integration right. of balancing the good and evil. See, good is when good can actually balance good and evil. Mm -hmm. That's the, the protector archetype. When being capable of but not doing. I mean, I think like that's what I like connecting it back yeah. to the Bible too. But like meek, have you ever heard of like the meek shall inherit the earth? Yes. Like that doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. It doesn't mean like weakness. It, right. It means those. It, it means basically those with a firearm on their hip that choose not to use it are meek. So you have the the potential to commit right. evil or to to do great harm to people, but you're not using but, it. <laughs> and and but that's important because that gives us our free will. Exactly. You know, we are yeah. aware, and I think that allows us to be in our divinity, to be in the tree of life, mm -hmm. is to be able to understand the importance of good and evil and at, and through our divinity through our good we don't act on yeah. evil 100 so, so i think yeah and it's um it's interesting how i think the point i was trying to get across is mm -hmm. that evil as evil isolated from understanding how it's really not us taking our responsibility for mm -hmm. being the totality Right. And, and do, needing to go in the collective unconsciousness to unify it. That's why we're not in God. We're not in divinity in the tree of life because we're not balancing that good and evil. You know, We're just trying to scapegoat. And that, that's where the more mystical, like where I was saying before, oh, like mm -hmm. evil and, and good are kind of relative. Like the whole understanding of how to balance and understand it, it, it breaks down if you just chase the scapegoats and you don't take the accountability to to unify them so that you don't act on it yeah no i understand it it's hard to get to to solid stuff on a lot of this super metaphysical yeah. ideas because it, it a lot of it is subjective and how we interpret oh. it and how we um how how it, it filters through our reality tunnel of it, how we're perceiving the language it, and all that it is, but you know, if if you look and you read Plato and look at Socrates, you know, he was a man that was very social and democratic. Mm -hmm. And you know, he the just, whole he just asked a lot of questions, right? Really, he and just he didn't know anything, and he pissed people off by right. just asking, "Oh, you think you're this? Well, what is this? What right. do you mean by that?" And people right. are like, "What? Get out so, of here!" Right. So you know, I I take the spirit of this in a very Socratic light mm -hmm. so that whatever premise we're starting with, we can explore and investigate it and then kind of find, hey, maybe that's actually a little subjective and we need to mediate to get, a, to, to get an agreeable understanding that I think actually shows how we um, traverse, you know, the, the, the thought parallels, the reality mm -hmm. parallels, you know, and that right and wrong a lot of times you know and people not being able to mediate human discussion is not understanding the quote-unquote rules of one thought bubble versus another you mm -hmm. know and you don't want to play the rules because people don't want to learn the ideas so we can't yeah. jam and dance yeah because yeah it's it's more about like ask asking questions really just keep yeah. asking questions and and be open to discussion and you know, like, uh, I think we agreed on probably most of what oh, we talked yeah, about. Oh, yeah, definitely. But there's going to be parts where we have different translations and different it, understandings, and you've got to just ask questions and be willing to explore without getting, like, emotionally attached to the it, result. It, exactly, because, 
you know, when you like there's, you know, my, my, you know, as someone spiritual, you know, there's a great atheist philosopher, Bertrand Russell, hmm. who his whole thing, he wrote a great series about just the history of philosophy and said, look, you got to have what's called intellectual charitability. And mm -hmm. I love this phrase because he says, you know, you have to understand why could something be believable? Why could yeah. something be understandable? What are the conditions that'll allow that idea to have meaning for people and what that served and whether you believe in it or not is different from whether you can intellectually understand the idea completely and i think that's you have where... to be willing to entertain ideas without believing them like like you have to fully like all right let me put this idea on for size and pretend this is real and let me you know think of and going back to alan moore i think that's why his stuff is so good because he oh he treats all the material as if it's 100% real. And he's like, all right, I don't really believe this is true or I don't believe with this viewpoint, but if right. someone did believe this viewpoint, how would he, they be in the world? And, and like, let me put that on for size. And, yeah. and you know what? Russell and him are both British, so he has <laughs> he has that intellectual charitability yep. so he can really become an avatar. Mm -hmm. And like Plato, embody it. you know, become that Socratic mouthpiece mm -hmm. that really honestly embodies an idea. Yeah. And um No, oh, I love that. Hey, thanks for coming on. Thank you, this Zach. This is an awesome no, conversation. It, it it really is to go from Alan Moore to Batman to the nature of God to, you know, exploring, yeah. you know, the thought parallels it's this, i feel like we still barely scratched the surface you could definitely i could definitely see you coming back on another I, time man. I, I i i would love to and you know i i feel like it would be cool to like label this episode something you know like hit me what's my title superheroes archetypes yeah and god yeah <laughs> that's it right there yeah did you have anything you wanted to like plug or just anything else you wanted to say here to, to wrap us up at the end what do you mean plug like uh, websites or music. Oh, sure, check out sure, sure. Yeah, definitely. So Twitter account. Yeah, 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 <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, for everyone who's just knows out, you know, to tell a little bit about myself, you know, I'm a professional musician and composer. So if you want to check out my SoundCloud, it's um, Rishava. That's R I S H A V A H. And I'll put a link in the description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, and, and, you know, a lot of the music, you know, varies from some ambient electronic stuff to some electronic progressive rock and jazz stuff. So It's it, good. To definitely check it out. Yeah, you know, some stuff that, you know, I would love, you know, to, you know, anytime, you know, we could share music, you know. Yeah. And, is, that, is that a good place to contact you? Or do you have a, like an email or a Twitter if people could reach you at or something like that? Um, for right now, they could do that or reach me, PM me on my um, Facebook. I do, I do have an Instagram for it as well. Um, you know, I just, I have to, you know, I'm, I'm building it up more. But please, yeah. you know, anyone, whoever wants to collaborate, you know, you know, music for, you know, meditation, for healing vibes, for, for media, for all sorts of cool stuff. You know, that's the sort of stuff. So I'm honored, man. Awesome, and, and, thank and you. And just so everyone knows. I'm honored to have you on. Yeah, what's the name of your project again? Well, I, I'm working on a, a music called Sun as the okay. band name. Um, I'm remixing an old album that I made years ago called Made in China. 
which the lyrics and the meanings of it all become more and more important as the years have gone on. So I want to like reproduce that and put that back out. Yeah. So I, I just want everyone to know just sort of as like I'll a, a link to that. yeah, like as a reaction, little biop that Zach's music is amazing and the production value, Thanks, the musicianship, the writing, the vocals. If you're into any sort of psychedelic, indie rock, really, you know, anything from like Pink Floyd or the Flaming Lips, like really just, you know, it, it was really sincere and authentic and ambitious. You know, a lot of a lot of music that tries to be big nowadays, it can be a little superficial, but man, yeah. you know, audience out there, please check out Zach's work. Amazing stuff. Thank you, bro. Hey, of course. It. Yeah, of course. And now I just want to thank Sean again for coming on. And um, thank you guys for watching. Please like, subscribe, share if, if you like what you saw and check his music out as well. Thank you. But you guys have a great rest of your day and I will catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Take care. Awesome.